Well, glory. Thank you, worship team. Hebrews chapter 13, if you have your Bible. Hebrews 13. Would you pray with me this morning here in just a moment? I got several things I want to say to you first, then we'll pray. And just pray for our sound situation this morning. It's just cutting out on us, doing some weird things. And so uh, uh, there may be a point in this message, unless the Lord desires to just keep this speaker working the whole time, that I'm going to have to just get really loud, go old school, and just yell at you for a little bit because we won't have any uh, sound. But hopefully that won't be the case. We'll just pray and ask the Lord to help us there. Let me share a couple things with you before we pray and dig into our time in the Word. Uh, Our outdoor ministry uh, leaves tomorrow. They're headed out to uh, their annual um, hunt out in Arkansas, the snow goose hunt. Now, this is not just simply a trip to get away and, you know, get out there and have fun. Now, they want to have fun, no doubt about that, but it has a real spiritual focus to it. They'll have Bible studies between hunts. They have a, a time at night where they get in the Word. And it's an evangelistic time also. Uh, Every trip so far that they've taken, at least one person has come to know Jesus. And so there are are people going on the trip who need to know the Lord. And so uh, we're going to pray for them that God just works in their hearts. And they uh, they believe and they receive Christ uh, as their Savior. So please pray for them as they travel tomorrow. They'll be out there a couple days. They'll travel back. And so... Uh, pray for God to work in their lives and also just give them safety and good health as well. And then don't forget to be sharing the gospel. Remember, uh, we handed those New Testaments out a few weeks ago and we just wrote gospel verses in the, in the front of that little New Testament. And if we just work our way through that, we can share the gospel and we can invite people to accept Christ and then invite them to come to church with us. And let's use that time to just really start having an intentional life of uh, sharing the gospel with people. And so in the month of February, we're, we've got a challenge out there for us to, uh, to uh, share the gospel with folks. And I just pray it just becomes a lifestyle for us in doing that. And then finally, uh, men, let me encourage you to be a part of our men's event that's coming up the 10th of March, Sunday evening. We'll have a a dinner at 5 o'clock, and then 6.30, our teaching time starts. Scott Dawson, the evangelist, will be with us. And then Dr. Ted Trailer, who is a friend, and he's pastor of Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, a great man of God who just puts the Word in such a a profoundly plain fashion that it's just easily grasped and handled, and you will be blessed by being here uh, at that event. There's already over 100 men that are registered. Let me just encourage you guys to go ahead and do that. You can register online. You can call the church office. There may even be a list for you to sign out there and register at the welcome desk when you leave. But that gives us an idea of how much food to prepare for. So we do need you to register for that event. So please uh, do that. Well, let's pray, and we're going to dig in the Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us. I thank you for the opportunity we have now to open the Holy Word of God together and continue our worship by doing that. I'm always aware of my need for you. I can't do this without you. Lord, I pray for clarity of mind and clarity of speech, and I pray that you, Lord God, will open our minds, our hearts, our ears to hear what you have to say to us right now. I ask you, Lord God, that you will remove distractions from our minds and hearts, destroy 
the deceptions of the devil that, Lord, are clouding us from understanding truths we need to understand. I pray, Lord, that you will please enable me, clothing me with ability that comes from you to deliver the Word of God. I want to exalt you. I want to honor you. And I pray, Lord God, we'll receive your Word and be changed by it. Thank you for what we've just sang about, Lord. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for giving me new life in Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 16. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 16. I want to talk today uh, on this subject, following faithful leaders and being faithful to Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 16. God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, When you and I came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. He empowered us with a strength and a power to enable us to do things that we could not do just in our natural self. He also has given to us the special revelation of God, that is the Bible. God's revealed Himself there. He's given us instruction for life. He, he's shown us things about Himself that we would have never known apart from Him giving us that special revelation through Scripture. So we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Scripture, but then also uh, we are enabled to have uh, a, a, an atmosphere to grow in. God desires his people to be involved in local congregations of believers where their uh, people are given individual gifts and those gifts are used to help one another. Makes us stronger so that we kind of grow up in the Lord. And then together we are enabled to go and um, carry out the great commission uh, as we're called to do. I saw something on social media uh, here recently and it was describing folks that were trying to find a church home and they were looking for a church home in the area they'd moved to and so they, were, they had looked here and there and this one and that one and, and all these different churches I guess they had looked at and they didn't name them out but they just said, you know, we've gone everywhere and we just can't find a church that fits us so we're just going to start having church at home. This is a husband and wife. They were just going to start having church at home, just those two. Well, that's not the church. <laughs> now, uh, if you're on the mission field somewhere where there's absolutely no other Christians around and you're there to win souls, and then that, that might be something that uh, is obviously acceptable for you at that point. But when you're around other believers, you are to join into a local congregation where the Word of God is being preached because there's a purpose for that local uh, congregation. Part of God's plan is for us to be a part of that larger body, as I mentioned a moment ago, full of people with different gifts that help each of us grow up in the Lord and then be effective in carrying out our mission, which is the Great Commission, and we do that together. But in those bodies of believers, God also calls individuals. He puts a call. Uh, the Holy Spirit begins to put the call of God upon that person's life to answer the call to, to pastor, to preach the Word of God. And then that person must meet certain biblical qualifications. And those qualifications are recognized by those people who are around them the most. Those who do life with them and ministry with them. And over a period of time, those folks need to testify that these persons have the qualifications of Scripture. 
so that you have this sense of calling that person has, but then also you recognize it. Others around them recognize that. that you see, I, I've, I've known people, and you know them too, who say that they've been called of God. And yet when you go to Scripture, they don't hardly meet any qualifications that Scripture says that they should meet. Well, what you know automatically is that person's not really called. That person's self-called. That person's not called by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit calls a person, then that person's going to evidence those qualifications in his life. He's going to be gifted with the gift of being able to teach. That's one primary gift that he will have in teaching and preaching the Word. And then God sets them. They're called elders or overseers or pastors. That, the Greek words for all three of those English words are used uh, interchangeably in Scripture to describe one office, the office that we call pastor. So you have pastors within those churches that are called to teach and they're called to, to provide a level of leadership. They're not dictators. They're to be servant leaders. They're not to lord over those that God has assigned them. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter 5. But they are to love and serve that congregation, uh, be an example in that congregation, and they are to teach the Word of God in that congregation. All those factors work together so that you and I grow up in the Lord. Uh, and so we, we have everything we need to grow and develop in the Lord. Now, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these early Christians to remember their leaders, uh, to remember their example, to remember, first of all, he mentions their teaching, which that's where their authority comes from, the teaching of the Word of God. And, and so they, that, that teaching is to be listened to and, and lived out if it's biblical. Now, you ought to be testing it. You ought to be testing that teaching to make sure that what I'm teaching is the Word of God. And when it's not, then you need to come and talk to me about that. <laughs> but we, we need to be, be delivering the Word of God. And so when that happens, there is a, an atmosphere for us to grow up in Christ. And that's what he's doing here is he's saying, remember those who, who taught the Word to you. Those who lived a, a faithful example in front of you, even were willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. They didn't give in. They didn't compromise. They stayed faithful to Jesus Christ, not backing away, not caving to the culture. This whole book is to encourage them to stay faithful. And one way they're going to stay faithful is to remember those that God had placed within that congregation to lead them and who led them well. Now, in today's text, there are four things we want to look at that are to be lived out that the Holy Spirit had encouraged through the teaching and life of faithful leaders currently and also in their, in their past. So let's take a look at these verses. Verse 7 through 16. Here's what the Word of God says. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the Word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the ultimate unchanging example of faithfulness. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. 
Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, the main idea of this message this morning is to follow faithful leaders, obey the word of God they spoke, and imitate their example of faith. Now, Timothy did that to Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul wrote to him and said, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, or teaching, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. The positive aspects of Paul's life, his faith, was imitated by Timothy. Matter of fact, Paul told the church at Corinth, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. When Paul and his mission team came into the city of Thessalonica and preached the gospel there, the gospel came with power and a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And those people, many of them there in Thessalonica got saved. And then the Word of God says they begin to pattern their lives after Paul and his team. They begin to learn the first steps of faith by watching the example of mature believers who were living out faithfully their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me say to you firsthand that leaders are not perfect by far. And I can attest to that. Sometimes we hold leaders in too high esteem. And sometimes we end up looking more to them than we look to Jesus. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and we are to be looking to Him. But certainly, the Word of God tells us that leaders are to provide an example. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 Paul said to Timothy that you're to be an example in word, in conduct, in faith, in love, in purity. Those areas of life, he was to be an example to that congregation of believers to help them live out their faith in Jesus Christ. Again, they're not perfect, but they're to live above reproach. Means there's not defining sin, habitual sin that defines who they are. Everybody's going to mess up sometimes and they're going to do stupid stuff and probably sin daily and you confess that and you move on with God, but those things are not to define your life. So the Word of God says, remember those who rule over you. That word rule is better translated lead. That word means those who are to supervise and give guidance and their leadership is based really on the office that they have been called to. Remember those who have spoken the word of God to you. That would even refer back to the very first ones who preached the gospel to them. And those who were faithful to take the whole counsel of the teaching of the Lord and teach it to them so that they might live out their faith in Jesus. They were to follow that faith. They were to imitate not the mannerisms or not all the conduct, but they were to imitate their faith. They were to see how they were devoted to Jesus Christ, which would have a wide range of aspects for their, for their lives. And there was a condition, and that condition was considering. That word considering means to look at intensely. Considering the outcome 
of their conduct. And so if they were being faithful and living out consistently their, uh, their faith. Now, some of these very leaders may have faced great persecution and opposition, but they didn't stop preaching the gospel. They did not back away and cower and, and, and leave uh, following Jesus devotedly. They continued steadfastly no matter what it cost them. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you look to them. You follow that example. And then in verse 8, it almost seems like an out-of-place verse, but it's a great transition between 7 and 9. And he really gives the ultimate example of faithfulness, and that's Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unchanging example of faithfulness. What does this mean that Jesus was the same yesterday? It doesn't just mean only his incarnation when he came to earth to live, die, and rise again. It doesn't mean only that, but it means that he was the same yesterday. That stretches all the way back into eternity past. You see, Jesus did not come into existence only in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He's always existed because he's God the Son. So he's always lived. And so it means that he's divine. If he is eternal like that, that means he is divine. Now, we know that Jesus is full deity and also full humanity at his in incarnation. But a second thing it means for us is this. He is unchanging. He does not change. Our culture changes every day. There's some new thing coming and going each day. But Jesus Christ does not change. And what that means is his word does not change. The Lord's not looking around and saying, I wonder what culture is going to say today, what's right and wrong, and I'm going to have to adjust my teachings to whatever culture says. No, that's not what it is. His word endures forever, the Lord says. No matter what culture does, Jesus does not change. What was wrong 2,000 years ago is wrong today. What was right 2,000 years ago is right today. His word never changes. It also means his gospel never changes. The way he saves and who he saves never changes. How does he save? He saves by grace based on the life, death, and resurrection that he provided by coming to earth and living and dying and rising again. Who does he save? Those who place their faith and trust in him. And so he always saves that way. That also means that when I go to bed tonight, I do not have to worry about my Jesus changing his mind and saying, well, I'm no longer going to save him. I'm going to retract that redemption from him. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about when I get up in the morning wondering if I'm still saved, if my name is still in the book of life, because my Jesus does not change. He saved me, and I am his forevermore. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means a billion years from now, Jesus will still be the same. And even on and on and on in eternity future, he's always going to be the same. It also means this, just like he was faithful to these Christians we're reading and studying about, he's faithful to his people today. He does not wane in his faithfulness. He strengthens his people. He helps his people. We've read that and studied that here in this book. And so these Christians are being encouraged. You, you look to the example of Jesus ultimately. You remember what those faithful leaders said about the Savior when they preached him. And you obey that teaching. He is always going to be Lord. And we're to be faithful to him always.
Well, what does that faithfulness look like? Well, there's four things that I want to give you from this text today. First, this faithfulness looks like this. We must be devoted to sound doctrine. Verses 9 through 11. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Notice various. You know, there is no shortage of false doctrines out there. There is no shortage, and never has been, of false philosophies and teachings and beliefs. They're out there everywhere. Because, you see, Satan does not want people to believe the truth. So he puts all these deceptions out there for people to follow after, get distracted by, be hindered by so they don't believe. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about how the God of this age, that refers to Satan, blinds people so they don't understand the gospel, don't believe and receive Christ. So there's all types of deceptions out there today. Now remember, he's writing here to ethnic Jews who had believed the gospel and had received Christ as Lord and Savior. And so there were customs they were very familiar with, and those customs were sort of part of their former lifestyle, and those things were part of, uh, of being affiliated with God and part of their salvation, so to speak. And, and so these, some of these were being led back into that. And they, they thought, if I could just you know, eat the certain foods and, and I can do the certain feasts, then that's going to that's gonna help me. And, and what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, those things are not going to help you at all. Your salvation doesn't come from food. It comes from grace. <laughs> the grace of God is what he is saying here to them. And then look at verse 10 and 11. I'll read it to you. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, this is kind of difficult for us to grasp, but those first Christians would have understood this so clearly and so quickly because, see, they came out of that life. They understood all these aspects of the old covenant. They were, they were living that out each day, and so they would have grasped that. So we've got to kind of see what, what was happening to begin with here and then how it applies for us today. Well, this, this statement, we have an altar, speaks of the cross of Christ. You see, the altar was where the sacrifice for sin was placed. Uh, and so what it's referring to here is we have an altar, meaning we have an ultimate sacrifice, and that sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the great high priest. He is the ultimate sacrifice that saves to the uttermost all those who come to God through him. The scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 7. And so through him, he provides this sacrifice. Now in the, in the Judaism, the old covenant, there was the day of atonement that would happen once a year, you know. There were sin offerings throughout the year. There's this one ultimate sin offering once a year, the, the day of atonement when there would be a sacrifice offered and the blood from that sacrifice was taken into the Holy of Holies and placed on the mercy seat for a temporary covering of the sin of the people of Israel. And then the body of that sacrifice then was burned outside the camp. So that's, there's a comparison kind of being made here. But for us, we have an altar that those who depend on the tabernacle can't come to. But if they turn away from the tabernacle and to Jesus, they could come to, they could come to him. For us, metaphorically, we feast on Christ. That is, by faith, we received him as our Lord and Savior. 
And then we continue to depend on him to help us. Every benefit we need, every bit of power we need comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the bottom line for us. Instead of abandoning the truth, when the culture puts pressure on you, you stay faithful. Because see, we have Jesus. And he's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can provide everything we need to live life while we're here on this earth for his glory. So instead of abandoning the truth, we're to stay faithful. There is no shortage of quick access to false teachings in our day. You can pick up your phone and you, can be, you have access to millions of them right off the bat. It's everywhere. It permeates our culture. Now understand something. The culture around us is shaped by the world system. The world system is that belief system and practice that is inspired by Satan himself. First Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, First John chapter 5 verse 19 says the whole world, that world system lies under the sway, the influence of the wicked one. So he's influencing cultural systems to pull people away from God, not, not draw them to God. And they're out there everywhere. And many professing believers today are being pulled and tossed about by these false teachings. It can start by something as simple as traditionalism within the church. Now, there's nothing wrong with having certain traditions that a person does, but sometimes when a, when a tradition begins to replace Scripture, then there's a problem. Uh, it, it, when it takes precedent over revealed revelation, special revelation, there's a problem. And sometimes it is preference, sometimes it is customs that we've grown up with, and, and those things become important to us to the point where we, they supersede Scripture. And we even think those things are necessary for a person to be truly saved and truly walking with God. And that may not be the case at all. But tradition has killed a whole lot of churches. There's dead churches everywhere that, that traditionalism has killed them. But one that we have to really guard from is maybe not so much traditionalism here, although we ought to, always ought to be guarded against that. What we ought to guard against is cultural ideologies. That's a big threat to us. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus and on the truth. There's a thing called deconstruction. You heard of that? Deconstruction, kind of a philosophy. It started out in the 60s, and basically it was, um, you know, there's no such thing as absolutes. You know, that's basically what that started out with. There's a whole different, matter of fact, Brock's teaching our students on that right now. And so that, we know that there, there has to be absolutes. You can't relate or connect with people, have any meaningful communication, connection, relationship, or, or or stability without there being moral absolutes. I mean, it's just, there has to be absolutes. But deconstruction is defined in a lot of ways. Let me give you a couple of ways, main ways it's defined today. It's those who were evangelical Christians. They grew up in churches. They were taught the Word of God. They were taught they ought to adhere to the authority of Scripture. And then something happens. You know, maybe it's a scandal in the church. 
uh, it, some other kind of thing happens and then this massive cultural influence begins to come on these people and, and they start stripping away one teaching after another until basically they're left with no faith at all and they, and they just walk away from Jesus. Like Josh Harris, the guy who wrote Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. He was a rising star in the evangelical church in the late 90s and early 2000s and that's what happened to him. He just abandoned the faith, which means he was not saved to begin with. John says if you walk away and you come out of us, it means you were never of us. That's what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. So there's that type of deconstruction. Then there is the type of deconstruction that happens that's most common in our day. Can y'all still hear me? It's most common in our day. And that is uh, professing Christians, they hear the morals being taught in the culture around us, and they begin to embrace that. Especially in our day, uh, a sexual morality. They will embrace what the culture says is acceptable uh, for sexual morals. And, and listen, here's the thing about this. It is, you can just see how deceptive the enemy is. He, he will do things like that. Have you ever heard this saying? That there is no hate like Christian love. You know what that means? That means because if you certain, you disagree with a certain lifestyle, you're not being mean to a person or hateful to a person, but you disagree with that lifestyle, you, you think it's not good for them, you think it's not of God, and you, and you say that and that's how you believe, then simply your convictions on that lifestyle have been defined as hate. And what that does is it, it cowers people. And, and people don't want to be thought of as people who hate others. And, and so they, they just begin to cower down and compromise the truth. And, and listen, what our culture will do is our culture will, will attempt to make righteous what God says is unrighteous. And, I, and our culture will attempt to make unrighteous what God says is righteous. Are y'all with me? You see, you'll hear this logical, it seems logical to the human mind when you first hear it. If you did not have the standard of God to measure it by, or you just cast out altogether biological logic, then, then you would think, okay, I guess this makes some sense. And you start to want to adhere to that because maybe you know people that are very dear to you that, are, that, that, that believe that or even live that. And so before long, what happens is you're involved in a religion that you think is very righteous when in fact it is absolute rejection of God's revealed truth. How dangerous this is. And there's also often elaborate arguments that are, that are made and, 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 oh, we've misinterpreted Scripture for, for this and then... When you really look at these, you realize how wrong these interpretations that they have really are. You see how it's very unsound in their exegesis, in their study of, of Scripture. But yet suddenly they, they begin to push and they say, look, here's what this really says. So you're telling me that we have missed it in the church for 2,000 years 
by people who had much better handle on the original languages than maybe many of those who were promoting these teachings in our day. And yet, Christian after Christian is falling by the wayside and embracing these types of practices, and it's dangerous. There's also a thing called moral therapeutic deism. You ever heard of that? You have, uh, because I've talked to you about it before, and, and our student ministry has heard about this before. But basically, this, this is um, a type of belief in God, but it's not a biblical belief in God. And it's not the belief in God that's revealed in the Bible. This system of thought believes that, you know, God creates everything, but he doesn't really have a lot of much to do with it. He's not really kind of sovereign over it. He doesn't really mess with us that much unless, unless we need him for something. And they believe the chief goal in life for being created is just to be happy. And that is our definition of what happy is. And so God's job is just to help us be happy. God's job is to help us get what we want. <laughs> and, and then they believe that most everybody is going to heaven. Unless you're really, 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 really bad. About everybody's going to heaven. Well, that's not biblical Christianity. We have progressive Christianity, what we used to call liberal Christianity, which strips away cardinal doctrines of the faith. Today has even embraced a thought that it's more righteous to defend a woman's right to take the life of her child in any circumstances she wants to than it is to guard the life of that child. We're in that kind of day. And we're embracing all sorts of things and there are many believers who are being led astray by these things. Pluralism, meaning that there's many ways to God. See, progressive Christianity accepts the fact that if you're Muslim or Hindu or whatever, you know, it's just going to get you to God anyway. All paths lead to God. Now, we know that's not true. Jesus said there's only one way to God, and that's through Him. So there's all these deceptions out there, and the people of God must stay true to the Word. Those who spoke it, they learned from, don't despise that, but embrace that. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we've got to be faithful to His Word. You can't be faithful to Jesus if you're not faithful to His Word. But not only is there this need to be devoted to sound doctrine, but there's also, secondly, we must be deeply devoted to following Jesus even in suffering. Even in suffering. Look at verses 12 through 14. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one that is to come. Now, their past leaders were apparently willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Matter of fact, chapter 10, verse 34, tells of some that were thrown in prison, and they were ministering to those in prison. That could have been some of their leaders. The Word of God tells us that when the Lord Jesus Christ came, 
He came into a world that he made, but the world did not know him and rejected him. John chapter 1 verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. But here we see where he was taken outside the gate, outside the city, to the place of the cursed. And out there on Calvary's hill, he became a curse for us that we might be released from the curse. He did what he did to sanctify people through his blood. Now, his blood represents his death. And the only way to have eternal life is to follow him outside the city and die with him. That is to accept him by faith as our Lord and Savior. And he forgives us and he cleanses us and he makes us his own. But I will tell you this. When you come to Christ, you're walking away from sin. You're walking away from the world. And let me tell you what will happen. You'll be forgiven. You'll have eternal life. You'll be changed. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will strengthen you. But I'll tell you what will happen. You will suffer reproach in the name of Jesus. I don't know what's happened to this, the generation that we're in right now. I think, it, I think I do know. I think it's been weak teaching over the past couple of decades that's led us to this idea that we're, we need to try to placate the world. We need to try to make Christianity more palatable to the world so we'll be liked by them. And there's some, even Christian leaders, who have an insatiable desire to be liked by the world. But I'm going to tell you this. If you follow Jesus, the world will hate you. You've got to make up your mind what you want to be. You want Jesus or you want the world. You choose the world, you get death and hell. You choose Christ, you're going to suffer now, but you have eternity with Him. We've got to make up our mind and quit cowering down and stand fast in the truth of God. And listen, people need us to do that. There's no hope if the people of God don't do this for those who are in darkness now. We have to be faithful. Jesus said this, in John 15, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. We got to know this world's not going to like us. And we're going to be the brunt of much of their attacks. But listen, if we will follow Jesus and exalt him and we will glorify God and we'll be faithful to him, then I'm going to tell you what will result of that. There will be many people that will come out of this world repenting and surrendering themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and be rescued from darkness because the people of God have been unchanging in their walk with him. And they've seen the display of gospel power in our lives. They've heard the power of the gospel message from us and they are changed forever. We're going to be faithful to Jesus. Then we are devoted to sound doctrine and we are devoted to follow him even if it means suffering. But then third, we must be devoted to praising God. Verse 15 says... 
Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. By the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful are to proclaim the praises of the one true God. You know, priests offer sacrifices. The Bible calls us a priesthood as believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the sacrifices we offer, one of them is praise, continual praise to God. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation or a holy people, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Instead of cowering to the culture, instead of falling in under the pressures of our culture, we're to be faithful Christians. We ought to be living out a life that's an example to others. Our lips should be telling the gospel. And, and that's acceptable service to our Lord when we're, we're praising Him, we're thanking Him for what He has done for us in our redemption. But I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, when we're praising God like we ought to praise Him, what comes out of our lips should be backed up by our lives. One thing that irritates me and grieves my heart is when those who are professing Christians and they're very vocal about it live so inconsistently. One post on Facebook is a Bible verse. The next one is how much they hate so-and-so. Or they cuss and rip and roar. Or celebrities today that throw around the name of Jesus left and right and give him thanks for a win and then they curse a blue streak afterwards and then when they're seen celebrating the win, they're blitzed in drunkenness. And yet they've called on Jesus to be their Lord and that's an inconsistent life. That is not what we're called to be. We're called to be separate. I tell you this, if we walk with Jesus and follow him, we're going to be different from the world. We're going to be different from those who are under the influence of, of this world system. We'll be a light to them that are in darkness, not self-righteous, pompous prunes, but we'll be a people that's living out a holy life in front of people that would be attractive to even draw them out of darkness. And so we're to be consistent. Praise Him with our lips and praise Him with our lives. And that brings me to the final point. And that is we must be devoted to doing good to others. Verse 16. Here it talks about, again, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. God's pleased by a holy life. He's pleased when we do good to others. Here it's talking about Sharing with others, and that means when they have a need, we're willing to share of our own resources to help them with that need. Doing good is a good way of describing how one way we love people. We're going to be generous to them, helpful to them. We're to not do certain things to them to love them, and we're to do certain things to them to love them, including, listen, telling the truth giving the truth of God's word to those we love. And God is pleased by this behavior. So what we've got to do is we must remember what our leaders have taught us and follow that example of faith, considering the outcome of their conduct. So here's some things I can leave you with today that we're to apply. Number one, we need to respect spiritual leaders. Secondly, we need to be devoted to God's Word. God's Word is our authority. 
That's what he says. Not what everybody else is believing out here. What does God say? A clear interpretation, the orthodox interpretation of Scripture. Third, we must be devoted to follow Jesus, even if it means suffering reproach for his name. Listen, we're not going to be popular by the world. And if we're just after the praise of men, we're sad. We're no better than the Pharisees of Jesus' day who sought after the praise of people more than the praise of God. Fourth, we're to praise Him. We're to live a life of praise, making His greatness known. I was thinking that last song we were singing a moment ago. I could not help but think about how the Lord saved me. I could not help but think of how He rescued me. I, I deserved punishment, but He gave me a place in his kingdom and in the family of God I deserved grave but he gave me a garden <laughs> I deserved hell but he gave me hope how can I not praise him and finally we're to do good we're to be living a consistent life so maybe today God's just convicted us of some, of some things. We need to just confess some sin. Aren't you grateful that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive? 1 John 1, 9. So why don't we do that today? <clears throat> Anything that's hindered our fellowship with Him, surrendering to just be full of His Spirit, to walk in obedience to Him, to be a witness for Him, it could be that there's some in this room and online even too, and you, you would say, you know, I need Jesus as my Savior. Because if I were to die right now, you, you would say, I would be eternally separated from God. But I believe I'm a sinner. And you'd say right now, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He did come to earth to live a perfect and sinless life and to die on a cross to atone for my sin. And then he rose from the dead. You believe that? Now, are you willing to repent today? What that means is turn away from sin in the world and surrender by faith to Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life. If that happens today, he'll forgive you. He'll change you. He'll make you a new creation. You have eternal life. So today, when we stand to sing in a moment, I'd like to ask you, if that's you I'm talking to, that you need to be saved, you come to me and just say, I need Jesus as my Savior. The altar's open for us to come and pray because it's easy for us to get off track. It's easy for us to lose sight of things, and we just need to confess and get right, start walking with God, and, and let's do that in this time of invitation. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this word. Thank you for the challenge to my own personal life. I pray, Lord God, you've spoken to us. Now, I pray we'll take what you said to us and apply it. We'll live it out. Lord, I pray for folks to be saved today, Christians to be sanctified, even folks to unite with this fellowship. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.